Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 18th, 2022, and episode number 532. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And we are, let me do a quick math here, 13 days to Halloween, I believe, I think. And probably wrong, but it's got to be close. Well, that's good luck, right? 13 days. It's got to be good luck to be that close. Um, it's on a Monday. It's on a Monday. Yikes. That's no fun. Uh, anyway, tonight we've got a lot of stories from uh, all over the world. we got some stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to squeeze some of these things in. Some gruesome stories. Of course, it's Halloween. Close to it. Uh, within two weeks. So, of course, we're going to talk some gruesome stories. We'll talk about some... Uh, more haunted places around the, the world. Well, probably just the U.S. tonight. But next week, hopefully, uh, the, if the news is calmed down, we'll talk a little bit more about some more Halloween topics, uh, which I always love to do this time of the year. Um, something dealing with a uh, Halloween type of topic, whatever that may be, whatever uh, I, got, I can find got a lot of things that I've done over the years. I hate to repeat things, but some of these things well, I haven't done in years, so wouldn't be a problem, I don't think, to uh, rehash, repeat some of these, and maybe I'll put them in my own words. So we'll see what we can dish out for next week for a special Halloween edition, because it's going to be no fun to do Halloween the day after Halloween. Uh, but uh, actually, the first I'll be off. I'll be on... Uh, well, I'll be working. Let's be real. Uh, so I won't be here. Uh, so we have to do Halloween next week, which makes sense anyway. But uh, anyway, let's get through tonight. You got a lot of stuff, including a new book of the week. Uh, very excited about this one. Uh, just came out this weekend and I've already read all 92. Well, I think it was closer to probably uh, 96,000. Well, I didn't read the whole thing because uh, I didn't get the entire book. I only got... 90% of it, basically. So I wrote, uh, read 92,000 or words. I forget how many. It was 300 some odd pages uh, in the last week or so. And um, very good. Very good book. And we'll talk about that. Um, toward, and we'll probably at the bottom of the hour. Maybe coming out of the bottom of the hour. Sound like I'm on the radio. Yeah, All Souls Day. Plus we have... Uh, Dia de los Muertos coming up as well. Love that one. That one's fun. Always want to go down to Mexico City and uh, watch the parades for Dia de los Muertos. But uh, probably, I don't know, well, maybe someday. Never say never. Uh, anyway, uh, tonight, let's see. Well, we'll start it off the way we always start it off. I think this is a, a good story to, to start it off with. Um, the Loch Ness Monster. You guys love the Loch Ness Monster. Whenever we talk about it, you guys always get excited. I know it's your favorite creature. and uh, But don't worry. Uh, somebody has debunked it. So there's no more Loch Ness Monster. Apparently, uh, it's been solved. At least that's the headlines that I've been reading from the mirror. And the sun and the uh, daily junket. No, that's not a real newspaper it should be there in the uk uh, but the, the mirror is reporting i think they were the first ones to report it uh, daily mail i think and yeah, probably the daily mail they're usually the quickest to the punch because they get the they sign the biggest checks for these kinds of stories uh, a lot of speculation over the decades as to what the explanation is behind a mysterious creature known as the loch ness monster could be there's been a lot of different hypotheses over the years from different people, uh, different groups of people, different types of belief systems. And of course, what's weird about this, uh, the same with UFOs. It's very easy to see this uh, pattern. Uh, but the Loch Ness Monster, as 
the common thought shifts to what the Loch Ness Monster could be, uh, the sightings seem to fit that current trend, which is kind of strange, don't you think? And again, the same as has been had with UFOs, how UFOs have gone from uh, these disks to triangles in the 80s to now just balls of light. Well, why, why do they shift uh, in shapes? Different uh, different uh, planets sending us different probes, different aliens, or just a different shift in thought. Anyway, go down. don't want to go down that rabbit hole yet. Um, but if you go way back into the 1930s, specifically 1933, when the Loch Ness Monster was first seen publicly, and amazingly, that's uh, right at the same time that they build a road around Loch Ness. Hmm, that's strange. And uh, also when they began to build hotels around Loch Ness. That's even stranger. What a coincidence. Um, back then in the 1930s, 33, uh, it was initially thought that this creature came out of the water. And uh, some people thought it lived more on land. They were looking for caves back then to find the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, and then it went into the water to hide, basically. And then, of course, over the years, that shifted from that to a water-based creature that came out of the water occasionally and then to a uh, creature that never left the water. So the, the actual first sighting of the Loch Ness Monster was uh, a large creature with a long neck and uh, long body going across the road and running into the water, believe it or not. Um, but yes, then the uh, plesiosaur hypothesis became the leading explanation. It's pretty much where we're at right now. Uh, that could potentially explain the dozens of sightings since 1933. Uh, but not all of them. Just, again, it kind of fits our, our worldview of what the Loch Ness Monster could be. But lately, remember on the show, we talked a lot about Professor Neil Gemmel, who conducted... Uh, an environmental DNA study of the lock where he took uh, different samples of water at different depths all around Loch Ness and analyzed them for environmental DNA, where he found no physical evidence of large or even unknown creatures living in the water. However, it's kind of where he messed up. He stated the most DNA discovered was from eels, and that led to the uh, now popular hypothesis that Nessie might just be a giant eel, which would be pretty unheard of. But I guess we've heard stranger things uh, about the Loch Ness Monster. Of course, uh, really and truly explaining all of the sightings with one explanation is pretty much impossible. You, you really can't. Uh, so the best way to solve something like this uh, which is also very difficult is on an individual sighting basis. So if you can go through and Figure out which each sighting is. You could draw correlations from those sightings and probably find the most common explanation and potentially find the uh, you know, leading explanation for all these sightings, which I think is just misperception of waves and uh, wake and uh, seash all caused by the wind. But that's just me speculating. As always. Uh, so, the, again, the best way to solve something like this would be on an individual basis. You don't want to take all these sightings and say, well, since uh, 50, 60 people in the last 30, 40 years have seen a creature that they can't explain, that it's got to be true. You know, if 58 of them saw just uh, something that preconceived notion that made them think they saw the Loch Ness Monster, we can excuse those sightings. And if uh, two other people saw ducks in the water, well, then there you go. What is the Loch Ness Monster? But uh, again, looking at the uh, the famous sighting. So if you go to the uh, most famous sighting, it happened uh, right in the middle of the flurry. So again, 1933, first sighting. A lot of people were really excited about this. People were traveling from all over the place to try to catch a glimpse of this creature. So the one of the probably, I would say, well, the most famous sighting um, has been solved by somebody else after it's been solved, which is weird. 
On April 21st, 1934, a photograph was published by the Daily Mail that was taken by Dr. Robert Kenneth Wilson in what would be known as the surgeon's photograph. Uh, you probably are familiar with it, I would hope. Uh, we see a long, thin head sticking out of the water. It's almost like a, uh, a hockey stick coming out of the water. It's what I've always called it. Uh, over the years, many have speculated that this is either proof positive or it's a clever hoax. A lot of people have said that this is basically the uh, Patterson-Gimlin film of the Loch Ness Monster. I don't quite agree with that because it was just a photograph. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to throw the regular version in the chat room real quick. And then uh, if you've never seen the uncropped version, so the, the version you're looking at is the most famous one. It's published in every single book around the world. It's all over every website, but not a lot of people have seen the uncropped photo. So if you've never seen it, you might want to get in chat real quick and uh, check this thing out. It's pretty, uh, pretty cool. Uh, the image put in the newspaper, which is the one that's carried on since then, is uh, yeah, heavily cropped. Yeah, it makes the image blurry. Uh, a lot of people think that this is the was the picture taken. No, uh, it really ruined the sense of scale from the original photograph, which uh, again is rarely seen because when once you see this, it's one of those things that once you see, you can't unsee. You ever see that? Does that make any sense? Uh, so I'm about to post this in the chat room, and a lot of people have never seen this. Uh, I remember seeing this. At Took a long time, but when I first saw this, I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's it? Well, that's all they saw? Uh, it doesn't look that big, doesn't look that scary, doesn't look like anything, really. Uh, once you can see the shoreline there in the background, this little hockey stick poking out of the water. Doesn't look like much. Uh, not that impressive. Uh, but uh, you know, what was it? Some people, a lot of leading hypothesis was it was a duck or a bird. Uh, but people were head over heels in love with the thought that uh, there was a Loch Ness Monster. So, of course, everybody uh, bought into it being the Loch Ness Monster. But not everybody believes it. And uh, currently, um, actually back in September, I got October here, but I know that's wrong. Uh, October 30th of 2019. No, actually, that was right. October 30th of 2019. Uh, Sue Keogh of Australia uh, tweeted out, or I guess, no, that's Facebook. My goodness, I'm actually paying attention. Last week, I wasn't paying attention. I was watching the uh, Guardians game. Shame on me for doing that. Never do, never try to watch a baseball game and do a radio show at the same time. It's pretty hard. But this time, I'm paying attention because they already lost. Uh, Sue Keogh of Australia a Facebook post back on October 30th of 2019. She shared her solution on social media as to what the surgeon's photo actually is. She figured it out all on her own without even being there. Uh, and sometimes that happens. Uh, that's got to be embarrassing for people. I know uh, I've personally caused a lot of ruckus and a lot of uh, ill feelings when I've solved people's ghost films and ghost photographs from hundreds or maybe even thousands of miles away uh, by figuring things out and people get upset about that. Uh, but this is like, you're talking a long time. It's many years, 80 some odd years that you figure in this thing out and all these other experts. But here it is, some, uh, some lady in, in Australia, just boom, she figured it out so quickly on her own. She was, uh, uh, she solved one of the greatest mysteries of all time. This is what she put on her Facebook page. She was watching a documentary on the Loch Ness Monster, and she saw the surgeon's photo. Suddenly, it jogged her memory to when she was a child, and she recognized the shape. And yes, she figured it out. It's nothing more than a hand puppet. Yes, a hand puppet. And she claims that the image of the surgeon's photo is merely a person swimming in the lock with their hand extended. Uh, she even took a photo of herself doing this with the uh, the motion of her hand, I guess, with her hand bent. Yeah, I know. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, people, um, unfortunately, when it was in the uh, Daily Mail, 
to ask for, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a possible solution? And people uh, were not very kind. We're not very kind uh, to, uh, to uh, sue Keo at all. Well, they kind of let her have it. But, uh, you know, that's what you get when you post things. Uh, surprise it took so long. It took almost two years for this thing to uh, come to light. But it's trending. It's popular. I can't get it out of my, uh, my feed, my news feed for the Loch Ness Monster. It's just overwhelming uh, how many people are talking about this thing. But, yeah, I, I don't understand it. I mean, it looks good. Uh, but if this was taken uh, in April in Loch Ness, she says she's never been there. Well, she needs to go, and she needs to go swimming in the Loch in April. It's pretty cold. It's very cold. Uh, it's probably as cold as it is outside here in Northeast Ohio right now, which is about 36 degrees. Uh, so this water is cold. Uh, it doesn't ever freeze, but it gets awful cold. But, uh, yeah, she solved it. Um, she might have been onto something, but unfortunately the case, well, it's already been solved. So even if she thinks she's figured it out, uh, she hasn't done her homework. Or maybe the documentary, either she uh, turned her attention away too early or the documentary failed her. It didn't teach her everything there is to know about the uh, surgeon's photograph. Uh, back way back, just seems like yesterday, 1994. Gosh, I remember 1994 like it was yesterday. Uh, Christopher Sperling came forward and admitted that he had had a hand in creating the hoax. Yes, it was definitely a hoaxed photograph. Sperling was the stepson of big game hunter Marmaduke Wetherill. Can't make that up. Sounds like a, uh, a fictional character. Marmaduke Wetherill. Uh, who had been hired by the Daily Mail back in 1933 to track down the creature. He was able to discover tracks on the shoreline of a large creature. But again, you know, we talked about back then, people thought that the Loch Ness Monster lived on land and then hid in the water. So uh, they were looking along the shoreline. They were looking for caves. Uh, but the footprints actually came back, and believe it or not, as a hippopotamus foot. And uh, I always love the, um, the look on people's faces when I say that in a library presentation. Like, what? What? Where do you get a hippopotamus foot? But uh, not just a regular hippo. It's not like somebody let a hippopotamus loose, which would be kind of cool. Uh, but it was a dried hippo foot, which back then was popular as an umbrella stand. An umbrella stand. You put your umbrellas in a hippo foot? That's just kind of creepy. Uh, but I guess that was the in thing. We didn't, they didn't have leg lamps, I guess. They just had uh, hippo umbrella stands. Uh, Marmaduke was thoroughly embarrassed and later enlisted Sperling's help creating a monster's head attached to a toy submarine that ended up being given to Wilson as he was a doctor. And, of course, he had a trusted reputation. Still, the surgeon's photo has perpetuated the belief that the Loch Ness Monster was alive and swimming in the cold waters of the lock. And people still, to this day, don't believe that explanation. They think that that was just made up. And the surgeon's photo is, again, kin to the Patterson-Gimlin film. That it's the only true proof. And although there's been uh, pretty good uh, photos. There was an underwater photo, I believe, in the, the 90s. It looked like a... Uh, a fin of a plesiosaur. That was pretty cool to me, but uh, you don't really know what you're looking at. So I've never really seen any evidence uh, of that or Bigfoot lately. And by lately, I mean since I was born, that uh, is really decisive as anything close to the Patterson-Gimlin film. And still in cryptozoology, uh, we've talked a lot about alligators. At least I've talked a lot about alligators turning up in places where they don't belong, especially in the cold waters of the Northeast. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we actually had one on, on uh, Halloween. It was discovered. Uh, it was dead, of course, but I think it was in, uh, was in Detroit or Chicago. It was in some rough part of town. Uh, somebody decided to dump an alligator. But... Uh, 
this is a weird play. I've never heard of this happening. I'm sure it's happened somewhere along in history, but this is just a really weird story. And it was so weird. Uh, normally I wouldn't do a story like this because it's technically not paranormal and you know, but it's just weird. So I figured, uh, and I follow a lot of weird stories and end up just backing off of them. I don't even consider them for the show, but this one definitely, cause it dealt with an alligator, but, um, it's a strange story where a rare alligator turned up in the strangest place possible. Absolute weirdest place I've ever heard an alligator turning up, at least alive, for that matter. Uh, back on September 25th of this year, customs officials at the Munich International Airport in Germany were checking luggage when they were astonished to see a strange shape in the x-ray of a suitcase, which, yes, of course, turned out to be an alligator. Uh, Munich main customs office said in a statement, quote, while checking luggage, security check employees discovered an unusual x-ray image. They immediately informed custom officers who, when opening the suitcase, found a live white alligator wrapped in cling film. Together with the veterinarian, the customs officers freed the animal and took over first aid. Before departing for Singapore, the passenger was located by customs officials. The officials initiated proceedings against the 42-year-old businessman. In, it's in air quotes, businessman, unquote. Uh, the albino alligator, which uh, they did show a picture. I can't tell if it's truly an albino, but it's pretty close if it's not uh albino alligator was wrapped in clear plastic wrap and had a small uh, set of holes poked out near its nostrils so it could breathe it was wrapped together so it couldn't move around and uh, this, this wasn't your uh, small teeny tiny alligator this thing was a meter long which those of us in america united states i should say uh, that's three foot long that's pretty darn big to put in a suitcase. And I guess it was a, a pretty decent size suitcase, uh, but still a three-foot-long alligator. I mean, I've smuggled a few things through customs, uh, but man, an alligator? Holy smokes. That's pretty uh, gutsy there. Um, the alligator was taken to a reptile sanctuary in Munich, and the 42-year-old man was an American tourist headed from Munich to Singapore, China. Uh, in Asia, white alligators are bought by people for as much as 75,000 euros, 65,700 British pounds, which equates to over 74,000 U.S. dollars. That's a pretty big price to pay for an alligator, for anything, really, uh, an animal. Uh, the man is under criminal investigation, is facing a, a variety of charges and fines dealing with animal welfare, illegal trade, and the Endangered Species Act. And I, I guess, according to the story, it said, um, I guess they believe in uh, Asia, they believe if you look a white alligator in the eyes, it brings you good luck. Uh, so I guess this uh, 42-year-old businessman when poking holes in the plastic wrap, uh, didn't look it in the eyes. He just was looking at the nose, so he got it wrong. Uh, or maybe he did, and uh, maybe it doesn't work. But uh, that's pretty risky for $74,000, uh, up to seventy-four grand. he could have got for the uh, albino. But, man, it's just, uh, that's just a horrible story when you think about it. What else are people smuggling out of different countries? I don't maybe I don't want to know. I've seen those things that people try to take on planes, the displays here in uh Cleveland. We've got uh, you know they show all the the guns that were confiscated and knives and shanks. Weird weird stuff that ends up on knives. Things that are taken out. Yeah, so maybe I don't want to know. Uh, ghost news and uh, ghost news is kind of warming up of course uh, gosh it's filled with all these 
haunted houses that are all over the place and scariest places and scariest cities. And of course, a lot of people are talking in libraries this time of the year because libraries don't really care about um, paranormal people except for October when we, we all become rock stars. Well, most of us, not me lately, but uh, anybody involved in the paranormal seems like they're called upon this time of the year for their expertise, their knowledge, their background, uh, and all sorts of strange stuff. For me, uh, they want to know about wizards. I'm not sure about wizards, but I'll do my best. Uh, we'll talk about some ghosts uh, tomorrow night at the Westerville Public Library in Westerville, Ohio, which is on the northeastern part, uh, just outside of the 270 ring that goes around uh, the outer belt, goes around the city of Columbus. Northeast, right, yeah, northeast. Uh, it's a beautiful library. It's got some history to it. Um, just a fantastic library. Great people, always a good crowd at that library. And it's my favorite library in all of Ohio, not just because I've gone there. This will be the 14th consecutive year, but it's the only library that still has my books in it. Uh, I've had two libraries that had books, uh, but the other library, they last time I searched, they don't have my book anymore that I let them have. Somebody must have stole it, which is fine, I guess. Even though I paid for it and gave it to the library, they could have got one for free, but um, anyway. Past is past. And speaking of wizards and uh, the presentation, this uh, next story kind of ties into it a little bit. Sort of a segue. Uh, CNN Travel has posted a story titled The Spookiest Cities in the U.S. and Why They Still Scare Us. Uh, it kind of reminds me, it seems like it's a rehash story. It seems like everybody does the same stuff this time of the year. It's uh, just cut and paste. Copy and paste, same thing, I guess. Uh, rehash stories over and over again. Uh, I laugh because I look at the um, the newsstands every, actually, usually the middle of September. Uh, people still look at the newsstands, all the rag magazines on the news racks when you go out the uh, the checkout lines at the grocery stores or Walmart or Target or whomever. Uh, you got all those magazines. You know, anytime anybody dies, they try to rush out that uh that uh, farewell or goodbye episode of, of something. But there is always a special edition of uh, spookiest places in the U.S. or around the world, I think it is. And it's it's like the same three covers I use every – they just kind of rotate the same one every three years. It's kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, CNN Travel got my attention, and I thought, wow, this is going to be a really comprehensive list. CNN, you know, they do a lot of good work. They do a lot of research. It's good journalism, Right. Well, not really. I was surprised. They only mentioned three cities, uh, but they're pretty good ones. They mentioned Savannah, Georgia, New Orleans, Louisiana, NOLO, and Salem, Massachusetts. Seems to have gotten a lot more attention lately. Thank you, Hocus Pocus, too, right? Uh, but, man, oh, man, they missed, they missed this. Uh, most places uh, that I've seen lately with these um, uh, stories, they do at least the top ten. And they're going to have places like St. Augustine, Florida, Charleston, South Carolina. You know, the, the, the big ones, I think. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, for example. Um, you may not have heard of him, but I'll be talking about him tomorrow. John Domingo, the Black Constable. Wicked story. If you've never heard this, uh, look up John Domingo from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, late 1800s or late 1880s, um, and how he died. Pretty insane how he died. Uh, he was a hoodoo master. Not a voodoo master, but a hoodoo master. And hoodoo deals with uh, roots of herbs and plants uh, to create concoctions. He could. Uh, he was a, uh, how do you put this in PG terms, uh, work with people's mojo, basically. He can make people fall in love with each other. Uh, persuade the opposite sex to fall in love with you. Uh, little potions. Uh, he would sell you little little balls of potions, little packets packets of uh, stuff you could uh, ingest or hang around your neck or something. I don't know exactly how it worked. I haven't bought any. 
but uh, he was a hoodoo master, and he uh, could control the weather, do a lot of other strange stuff, and he worked with zombies too, by the way. Um, he had a, a little army, supposedly, of uh, the undead. It's pretty cool. Uh, they could have also included Chicago, Illinois. I mean, come on, the old school gangs, uh, Al Capone, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, a lot of old buildings. They had a big fire there, right? And then you got Portland, Oregon. Nobody ever mentions Portland. And it, it bothers me. Uh, they had the Shanghai Tunnels. A lot of people died in those Shanghai Tunnels. Uh, San Antonio, Texas is always a big one. The Battle of the Alamo. Does anybody remember that? The Alamo? Uh, but gosh, you know, not that bus crash they always talk about on the railroad tracks. You know, uh, what is it? Villamine and Shane roads if i'm wrong somebody from san antonio correct me but that didn't even happen in texas that happened like two thousand miles away and they claim it for themselves uh, but they think they figured it out now at uh, the tracks are gone anyway uh, what about gettysburg gettysburg pennsylvania over fifty thousand people died in a battle there there was this war the civil war back way back when crazy um, but, uh, yeah, they did a pretty comprehensive look at those three cities, um, with, uh, Savannah, Georgia established in 1733, um, very old buildings all over the place. Dot the, dot the map on Savannah is weird. Cause last time I was there, I didn't really see a whole lot of that stuff. It seemed like everything was new, uh, to me. I went there looking at the pirate stuff, but. Um, that's just me. Same thing with Charleston. Um, lots of houses, old houses from the 1800s. Uh, a lot of people dying, a lot of cemeteries that people go to, but not so much anymore. Cemeteries are kind of forbidden now, I guess. I don't know why. Um, but a lot of great history in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, dark history, uh, just like Salem, Massachusetts. that was uh, first settled in 1626. And, of course, you know, witches in the uh, 1690s come to mind. More than 200 people, most of them women, were accused of witchcraft and allegiance with the devil, so the article says. Um, and, of course, you didn't have to have much in the way of evidence to uh, accuse anybody. You just said, she's a witch, and that's pretty much what they did, put you in chains. And... Uh, it uh, caused pretty much hysteria. It was pretty much just people caught up in fear and their beliefs took over and one thing led to another and uh, 19 people were hanged and four people just died in prison. Nobody was burned at the stake, by the way. I think that growing up as a kid that you always heard that, that the witches were burned at the stake. Uh, but I think people now have heard that fact enough that people don't think about that anymore. But uh, still horrible, horrible, horrible what happened. Uh, of course, they do take advantage up there up there in Salem. There's all sorts of ghost tours. I've been to Savannah, never been to Salem. But uh, from the advertisements I've seen, anytime you type in the word Salem, Massachusetts, you get all these ghost tours everywhere. Uh, the same with New Orleans. Holy smokes, on every street corner, there is an advertisement for a ghost tour down there. At least the last time I was there which is a long time ago at this point. Um, let's see, Salem Witch Museum. So yeah, New Orleans, uh, another big, big hotspot. Uh, was established in 1718. A lot of old history, a lot of old buildings there, even though they've flooded out probably 20 times since then. Um, Marie Laveau, who I'll talk about uh, also tomorrow. She was a voodoo queen of voodoo and also hoodoo. So she did both. Uh, dealing with controlling people and uh, potions and roots and all sorts of uh, crazy stuff. And she was pretty much in charge of the city during her day. Um, lots of crazy stuff down there. A lot of French stuff that I couldn't pronounce. It was weird. I think I saw more French stuff down in New Orleans than I did when I was in... Uh, well, North uh, Niagara Falls area, even though everything is like bilingual there. It's first in French and second in English. But down there, it's like it's just straight up 
Everything's in French, which is weird, at least in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And, of course, there's ghost tours everywhere down there. Uh, you've got the old French Opera House, uh, the old Absinthe House, St. Louis Cemetery. There's got a lot of famous people in there, according to uh, legend, also Marie Laveau. But uh, I don't think she's actually there. But crazy stuff. So the top three, I don't know. It's kind of a weak list, I felt like, but um, who prosecuted the witches, the church or the law? Well, I think the, I think the law was the church, and the, the church is pretty much what stirred up everything with the witches and stirred up all the, uh, the uh, people being scared and kind of stirred the pot, for lack of a better term. Well, I guess that's a pretty good term, stir the pot, and cause all this to happen. And, of course, then uh, very few people who are sane stepped in and said, whoa, 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 we need to stop this. But by then it was too late. And um, when the hysteria started to die down, people started to realize people were dying. This probably wasn't smart, but uh, by, the, yeah, by then it was too late. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of it was church-driven, and there wasn't really – too organized of a law back then. It wasn't like they had a sheriff and uh, a court system set up that was very well back in 1690. It took a little while for all that to happen. But yeah, it was pretty much a lawless period. And uh, it was almost like public opinion back then. But yeah, they had a little bit of a law system, but it didn't really work too well. Uh, ask the uh, 20 some odd people who perished back in that time, which they really couldn't afford. Um, in other news, I'm excited this week to talk about this, uh, the book of the week. Last week, uh, we talked about the Search for Sasquatch by Laura Krantz. Um, it's a critical thinking Bigfoot book for preteens, and the book made its debut last week on Tuesday, on the same day, which is kind of weird. Usually book releases uh, are on Fridays. Um, mu uh, music is also, well, it used to be Tuesdays, but I think it's on Fridays now. Um, but there's still, yeah, it seems to be a lot of stuff still on Tuesdays. They were trying to go to Fridays because of the monetary thing. Uh, you, they make more money quicker if they debut on a Friday than a Tuesday. So they think, but uh, it's seems like you're still getting a lot of new releases on Tuesdays. Um, but with that book, I admittedly had not read it. And I generally only promote books that I've read or basically can trust that the content will provide the reader with meaningful information or entertainment. Uh, but I was able to preview some of it. And from what I read and I, I listened to some interviews and I've heard the podcast in which it's uh, very tightly based on. Uh, so with that... I felt like it would be a good, trustworthy book of the week. Uh, but this week is a book that made its debut on October 15th over the weekend. And I was fortunate to get my hands on this book a couple of weeks before that. I uh, got my hands on an advanced copy of the book in order to help eh, kind of give the book a little bit of a boost, whatever I could do to help it. And I'm continuing that tonight, obviously, talking about it. But uh, I think it earned its its way, not just uh, trying to promote it because I got a free book, uh, but because it's generally a really good book. Um, and of course, some honest feedback uh, about the book, which I did on Amazon. I wrote a, actually wrote a blog. Yes, I know a lot of people were like, holy smokes, you wrote a blog post? And it wasn't the uh, top 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get some more blog posts going, I promise. Well, Maybe I shouldn't say I promise. I'll try to get some more blog posts going. I got a whole list of stuff that I want to do. Unfortunately, some of these stories uh, that I want to blog about, by the time I get around to it, they're already um, gone. Like they're, people have already moved on. They don't really care. Uh, you know, it's the TikTok generation. And uh, people don't, people are bored after 30 seconds. They just want something new. Used to be the Vine generation, but kids don't know what vine is anymore um so this week uh, i 
again, I agreed to read the book. Uh, at the time when I agreed to read the book, there was only eight authors involved in this project. But of course, at the time I knew uh, there was going to be a ninth through this ninth person that uh, was promoting it. Uh, it's a book of short stories, which are very enjoyable because they're short. And you really, when I read a short story, I just got to power through it. I got to read it in one sitting. I, I can't break up a short story, even if it's 30 pages or 40 pages. I got to read the whole thing. I can't put it down. Well, as long as it's good. If it's not good, if I put it down, I'm not reading the rest of it. Um, but this book, uh, short stories, they're paranormal-based horror stories. And uh, that got my attention right away. And uh, uh, topics, once I read these books, I wasn't sure what I was in for. To be honest, there was not a whole lot to go on. I didn't read the back of the book or anything like that. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Uh, but I knew it was for a good cause. That was one of the biggest things that drew me to this. Uh, but the fact that it was uh, paranormal-based horror stories piqued my interest. Uh, so topics in these short stories included, uh, or includes, I should say, alien abduction, ghosts, werewolves, vampires, and a whole lot more. Um. But kind of to add to that, let me add to that, though. That sounds pretty basic when you say alien abductions, ghosts, werewolves, vampires. Um, and I didn't get to read all of them, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, this is a horror anthology. Um, so it does get a little bit graphic with the content. And I was a little, I don't want to say shocked, but it takes a lot to shock me from watching all those movies of the 80s where people are just getting blown up left and right. But... I didn't expect it. Let me just put it to you that way. I didn't expect some of the stuff. And just the way it was tasteful, the way it was done. It wasn't just graphic for the for the purpose of being graphic. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it wasn't too aggressive anywhere in the book. And it really added to the stories. And it was no substitute for the great characters and great storytelling that was used throughout. Uh, so all of these authors are experienced authors. It's not just like, hey... Um, hey, anybody that wants to write a story, just go ahead and uh, send it in to us. You know, these people were sought out because um, they haven't written a whole lot. These aren't like best-selling authors that have they've churned out 30, 40 books a year from having other people helping them write. Uh, these are kind of, I guess you could call them young authors uh, because they've only published a few books, but they're established authors. Now, if you get published by a publishing company other than uh, publishing your own stuff, which is what I've done, I'll admit. Uh, you're an established writer uh, because somebody said, hey, your stuff is good enough for me to invest money in and to put your book out there. Granted, you can spend money and pay somebody to publish your stuff for you, but where's the fun in that? Um, but I was happy to see Daniel Bouts submit a story for the book, and he's the one that uh, kind of where I saw it on his Facebook post. Uh, he became the ninth author involved, and all of the authors involved, uh, again, have some experience in publishing novels, which uh, made for a great read. You could tell they knew what they were doing. Uh, great storytellers, great characters, and the just even the um, there was some unique culture behind some of these stories and locations, uh, but it wasn't painted on too thick. Everything they did was very well balanced each story was very well balanced which is hard to do in a uh when you're talking a specific genre like paranormal horror uh, it's easy to get caught up in uh especially setting i would think and uh, just being too graphic uh but he uh all of the authors the he's and she's uh at least that i've read the nine uh were very very good there were uh, there wasn't a story that i i didn't like and there were there was a couple that were my i have two favorites in that i'm not gonna lie um but the other seven that i wrote weren't bad they weren't bad at all they were all pretty good and each one had their own unique take on the paranormal which i thought was fantastic uh dan bouts by the way he submitted the story and uh, got me involved helped get me involved in it of course i got myself involved which didn't really have time to read a ninety-two thousand word book in uh, less than two weeks, but I made the time. Uh, he invited me on his podcast as a first guest way back in early 2008, and I eventually became a regular. 
contributor to the show, also was a, a co-host toward the show's, uh, the end of the show's run back in, uh, I can't remember what year that was, it was so long ago. Uh, short stories, uh, I should say short, I did short podcasts back then uh, for that show, called, and it was called the Paranormal News Insider. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that before. Um, so Dan actually helped launch the show on his show, on his podcast, way back in 2008. Uh, it was a monthly show for two years. Uh, then we went weekly uh, pretty much for like five or six more. Ended up on a AM station uh, out of Marysville, Ohio for our last, what, year, year and a half. Uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. Um, even though I recorded it and since that show ended, uh, I've been doing everything live for like 300 episodes now. Uh, but back to the book, the uh, short stories in this book, again, well written, well thought out, and uh, each with that cultural approach. And I liked how they all took on different paranormal topics. And the unique thing about it is, again, I mentioned ghosts and werewolves and um, vampires and stuff. You'd think you're going to read the same old stuff that's cut and paste, uh, the Hollywood version or, you know, whatever's popular in uh, books because things change. You know, uh, werewolves went from being this uh, animalistic, scary stuff to uh, the 80s. They were just sexy. And, you know, now they're still sexy and they all have feelings and emotions and love each other and this weird wishy-washy stuff. But um, they don't follow anything. Even the ghosts in these short stories are just not what you would expect. And that's a huge compliment because it's really easy to get caught up in writing what people want to hear instead of writing something that appeals to you as a writer and creating your own path. And that's one huge thing that I really enjoyed about this. I could read it and not judge it and not say, well, that's not how that's not how that works or that's not how ghost works. It didn't matter. They created their own world. And granted, these are all fiction anyway, uh, but far too often you read a book on these topics, werewolves, vampires, ghosts, and they try to follow pretty much the rules. Like there's rules to all these things. I don't know why. Uh, but other books or movies or websites, TV shows, all these things create these rules. Well, this is what a werewolf has to do, and this is what a vampire has to do, and this works against it. Well, all those rules are out the window for these uh, short stories, and it's uh, fantastic. Uh, when the book finally made its debut, uh, they added another author to the mix for a total of 10 authors and 10 short stories. I didn't get to read the 10th, so I really want to read that last story. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. They had some issues uh, over the weekend with uh, getting the the hardcover and softcover editions published. Uh, yeah, go Amazon. Uh, they take all my money for my books. Uh, but uh, they got it sorted out, so it's not only on uh, those two, but it's also on Kindle as well, which is Kindle has been available all weekend. Uh, but it's also available at the comp the publishing company's homepage at anatolianpressllc.com. Anatolianpressllc.com. The book, by the way, I haven't talked about that yet. It's called Autumn Tales, a Horror Anthology. And again, this build is 10 authors and 10 grim tales and one great cause, which again is why I was, uh, uh, maybe not the biggest reason, but it was a sure close second um but as scary and gruesome as some of these stories are um the authors have sidestepped their royalties for this book and will be donating all the money to another scary and gruesome topic that of human trafficking uh, this is a serious topic that many people talk about but it seems that people don't want to hear about it they don't want to think about it and it just gets talked about and then nobody really has a discussion about it because they did i don't know people are just afraid of it um but it's growing it's a growing problem and it won't go away on its own and all of the proceeds from this book are going to collective liberty a nonprofit organization that is in the trenches of the battle against human trafficking that will hopefully help stop it and are there to help those affected by it especially 
children. Uh, again, the book is called Autumn Tales, a Horror Anthology, and is available in paperback. Uh, a special edition hardcover. Gosh, that's that's what I'm leaning towards. I want that special edition hardcover. Uh, again, as well as Kindle. Um, uh, so it's all you know, through Amazon as well as An- AnatolianPress.com. And uh, it is fiction, pure fiction, all fictional stories, um, which yeah, it's good. It's good to have it fiction. I don't think I'd want um, – that's a lot of work to, to do research on stuff like that and see if that works. Uh, I could do better. Got to do better. Uh, trying to post the uh, link. I got to take off the front part here. Uh, but uh, it's a uh, fantastic book. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've got to post enough links in there anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, check it out on Amazon or Anatolian Press LLC.com. Fantastic book, and you can get it just in time. For Halloween to uh, read around the fire. I think it's a little too cold for a fire where I'm at, but um, and if a graphic horror anthology isn't enough to keep you up at night, uh, there's a couple of stories that that might. Uh, was going to talk about this, but I wasn't going to talk about it. But I'm going to mention it at least. Mention it. We won't get too far into it. Uh, but I've been following the story since Friday. Uh, popped into my uh, mysterious emails, uh, which I have different subjects that I, I get Google News alerts for. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this. This girl in Paris who disappeared uh, over the weekend on Friday. Um, there it is. What did I do wrong? Hmm. Not sure. Anyway. Um this girl in Paris uh, disappeared, and she was found hours later, shoved in a suitcase, dead. And the initial report said that she had um, numbers attached to her feet, not uh, not scrolled in or not carved in, but uh, on like notes, I guess, and just attached to her feet. Now they're saying. Uh, it was on her um, it was on her chest. The numbers one and zero were placed on her chest. And this is a really scary, sad story. And uh, over the weekend, they, they had arrested, they had, uh, well, not arrested, they had five people uh, held for questioning. And now they've determined it was a woman, a homeless woman who had befriended this girl, uh, ended up somehow luring her to the basement of the building in which she lived, and it was a like a large, uh, I guess, apartment building in Paris, and lured her to the basement where she uh, killed her, slashed her throat, and did a lot of other graphic things to her, and then put her in a suitcase, dragged her out of the building, actually asked people for help with this suitcase, getting out of the building. And then uh, this 24-year-old homeless woman from Algeria... Uh, she went across the street. She had a, a bagel and uh, was just talking to people, having a good old time. And the creepiest thing of all, uh, they show a picture of her. I, I think she's in jail, and she's just smiling like nothing. Very creepy. I'm sure there's going to be a movie about this uh, pretty soon. It's just gruesome to think about and when you read about it. It's just horrible. Uh, and the father is the uh, like building superintendent in the building, and uh, – you know, a 12-year-old girl. So he called police. They were looking for her. He saw her on the closed-circuit TV cameras. Man, to be there and be that close and have her die right there, just absolutely horrible. Um, so if that kind of stuff doesn't scare you, um, yeah, that's what I did wrong. Didn't put in the link tab. Uh, if that story doesn't scare you, I, I don't know what can. Uh, I know I was... You know, you read all these uh, mass shootings and and horrible um, police brutality stories and all these things that stir up anger and emotion. And 
and uh, of course opinions. People get all riled up about things. But man, a story like that, I, I just uh, couldn't stop reading about it. It, it really just it was just horrible. And it does kind of uh, tie in somewhat close to the uh, human trafficking issue. But, of course, she wasn't being trafficked. Uh, but uh, children, nowadays, it's just sad. I mean, when I was a kid, I could hang out outside and not have to worry about stuff like this. Getting shot at or getting accused of shooting somebody or um, being abducted or uh, stuff like this where a mentally insane person hacks you up that's just crazy um but if that doesn't scare you uh this story might if especially if you're a, a science buff like myself this story uh, came out a while ago and i just kind of sidestepped it a few times um but it's um this is scary i, I don't want to i do want to see this uh just once and then i want it to go away for good because i think it would be cool don't get me wrong i'm not gonna hate on it completely this would be neat to see, but after I see it, I don't ever want to see it again. Um, the Public Relations Department at the Skolkovo Institute of Science and Technology in Moscow have published a press release after a study, and they put out a headline that reads, quote, Adblock this, space advertisers ready to display commercials in the sky, unquote. That's right. Space commercials in the sky. Well, we've talked about the uh, SpaceX and those Starlink satellites zipping all over the place, uh, clogging up astronomers' telescopes and uh, creating all kinds of uh, reflections of light. Uh, I've only seen a couple. I haven't seen a whole bunch. Uh, but they do provide Internet service for areas that don't have it. Uh, they do provide coverage dur during uh, emergency situations. So when the uh, hurricane hit, they did provide Internet for parts of Florida. So I can't I can't totally hate on that part of it. Um, but they're beginning to pile up. They really are. And they're causing issues. Uh, and eventually they're going to cause problems for people and wildlife. Uh, but we're not there yet. And uh, of course we've talked about, of course, they could keep us stuck here on Earth in the long term if they keep clogging up the atmosphere. Uh, according to ArsTechnica.com, the study was published in the journal Aerospace and it says, uh, quote, its authors assessed the technical feasibility of flying satellites in formation in space to reflect sunlight and display commercials in the sky above cities. The authors wondered whether satellites could fly long enough and in enough different formations over various cities to make money back from advertising to cover their uh, development and launch costs, unquote. Well, the Russian researchers calculated that the daily space advertising revenue could reach $2 million with a net income of over $111 million after expenses for the group of satellites that would be needed to render a, uh, an image in the sky. Now, those, speaking of rendered, they would be rendered useless pretty much in 90 days and then have to be replaced. And that's the bad part. Um, how many satellites are we going to use up just so we can continuously have advertisements in the sky? And one of the examples they showed, I don't have the, the picture downloaded, but uh, they had the picture of the Olympic rings. Granted, it's just in the white light because you're reflecting sunlight. And when if you've ever seen sunlight directed uh, from a satellite, uh, the um, that glow from when a satellite is uh, high in the sky. Usually if you go out like after sunset until uh, about midnight, you know, before the sun goes around the curve, yes, it's curved. Uh, the earth has a curve. Um, you'll see the, sometimes a satellite will just get that glint of this. If it's just in that right spot, it's high up. So it hits the sun where we can't see it. There's no, nothing to reflect that light off of. That's why it's black to us. And then of course, uh, when it does hit an object, it reflects back to us. That's why we see um, the moon in the sky. It's why we actually see the planets because the planets, uh, they don't glow. Our Earth doesn't glow. Uh, these planets are reflecting sunlight to our eyes. And that's why we see planets and the moon. Now, stars, of course, put off their own lights. But uh, this is uh, not a good situation. If we start making money off of just launching 
satellites, that's that's the end. That's the end. I don't want to think about it. Um, but I guess we have no choice. We have to think about it. And uh, you'll have a week to think about it. And I will see you next week. I'm excited. It's going to be our special Halloween show. I'm not sure how special or what's the special part of it's going to be. But it's going to be special. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>